hope you're excited uh, still for this series. We've been in this series for a few weeks, and that video kind of just encapsulates what we've been talking about, seven words to change your life. A very bold and audacious promise, but one that is true. And, uh, and so I wanted to mention something before I get into the, the message. Uh, for those of you that know and, and know what happened last week, um, last week we canceled uh, Sunday morning services, and we do this each year, but last, year, uh, last week we canceled services, and, and we did it because we were over in the high school packaging food for kids, all right? And, and so this, I just wanted to let you know that just in our shift alone, so the hour and a half that Northridge was there, and we had uh, probably at least 200, maybe more than 200 just from Northridge there in that shift. We took up most of the gym. And that was awesome. But we packaged in just an hour and a half, 100,000 meals for kids, just in that one shift. All told, that whole day, they packaged over 400,000 meals, or just up to 400,000. Isn't that awesome for kids? Absolutely, absolutely. Praise God. And so I want to mention that, not like, yay, Northridge, but yay, because kids who don't have enough food are going to be fed. Okay, but I wanted you to know why we do that. Because a lot of churches wouldn't do that. Because it makes no strategic sense. It actually is, is not easier for us. We don't have an offering on that day. Right? And you don't think about that. But in order for us to operate, there's a lot of needs. Right? But we don't take an offering on that day. We lose that Sunday. We also lose ground. We have less people on that Sunday, for whatever reason, than we have most Sundays. Today will be quite a bit bigger, just because we had a normal service. Because people just don't come for that kind of thing. Okay? So it makes no strategic sense for a church to do what we did last Sunday. I just want you to know that. But we do it anyway. And the reason is because sometimes, it, it, just so you know, we're not going to forsake meeting together as the church. We need to do this. This is important. Like, you should take time, sacrifice to be here every Sunday, if you can. Okay? We're, we're not going to forsake that. However, there are times when we are called to be just as much to be the church rather than to sit in church. Amen? And so we're going to make those decisions all the time. And I just want you to know that that's who we are and that's what we're about. So those of you who are here for the very first time here at Northridge, glad to have you here. Welcome. Uh, we know that several of you, it's your first time, so we're glad that you're here. We want you to know this is a safe place for you to dig in and find out what it means to follow Jesus on a daily basis. We're not a church that believes in just showing up every now and then on a Sunday. We believe that having a relationship with God through Jesus is an everyday, every minute of every day thing that should change your life. And so we hope that you will be on that journey with us because we're seeking what that means every day uh, as well. So we're in this series called Seven Words to Change Your Life. And we've talked about the words yes, the word no, the word enough, the word help, and the word thanks. And so we've talked about those five words. We have two more left. And today is a very intense word. It's probably the hardest one we're going to do in this series. Because today is the word sorry. This is a hard word for us. Maybe, I would say, a lot harder than even the word enough in our culture. We're not good at the word enough, but we're really not good at sorry. 
And so we're going to talk about the word sorry when we get to the and And the truth is, uh, you guys would probably understand this about me because I've shared a lot about myself. I seem to have needed to use the word sorry a lot in my life. <laughs> I've, I've had to use it quite a back. In fact, uh, just a few years ago, uh, I can't remember if, which child it was. I think maybe it was Tanner. Laura will correct me after this service uh, if I'm wrong, which is quite possible. Uh, I'll have to apologize again. Uh, it'll be fun. Um, but uh, either way, I know we, we had several kids. It was two or three. And, uh, and I got a call. I was playing with the kids at home. And, and I got a call from Laura and saying, hey, we're going to go out and I think maybe meet my parents. We're going to go to dinner. I was like, okay, sounds good. And they were out, they were doing some errands, running around. And I was playing with the kids at home. And so you know how it is, like you have to get all the kids out the door into the same vehicle with the right clothes on. Like it's an act of God to do that, right? You understand this, right? Yeah, I mean, those of you who've had kids, like it's a miracle if that happens. And so I'm like, okay, we're going to get everything, go to the bathroom, you know, make sure you have, you know, shoes. And I can't remember, hat and gloves, all kinds of whatever. And we finally get everybody in the van. I'm like, man, I'm doing good. We're all in the same vehicle, right? And I think we look halfway decent, right? And so then we get to the restaurant, <laughs> and we get there, and I think Laura is the first one that called it out, and she looks at our toddler. I think it was Tanner. I don't know if it was. It was a Tanner. Okay, it was Tanner. And, and he's walking, very much walking at this point. Like he's two or something. I don't know. He's been walking for a while. And I had forgotten to put shoes on our son, to go out the door. Like everybody else had their stuff and we were looking good. I thought I was doing great, but nope, my son doesn't have shoes on. He's just in socks, right? And he's one of these guys, he runs all over the place. Well, needless to say, we carried our toddler for the rest of the evening and I had to apologize and say, I'm sorry. <laughs> I forgot to put shoes on one of my children. But then uh, there's some other times, and men in the room, maybe you can relate to this, but there are a lot of times when I'm headed out the door or I'm out already, and I get a call from my wife, and she wants me to do something, right? Pick something up from the store, drop something off, drop a package off, whatever the case is. And uh, so I'm running all over, and uh, it happens quite often, I would say, that I get back home, and you know what has happened, right? I forgot completely. And I was supposed to get milk and some critical element for the, the meal, you know, that we're going to be eating in an hour. And I show up and I'm like, and then she says, hey, where's the whatever? And I go, I'm sorry, I'm an idiot. Let me go do that. <laughs> and then it's like, you know, half an hour later and I go back and I have to grab it and all this stuff and I say, I'm sorry. I've had to use I'm sorry a lot in my life. I just really have. But what I want to do is I want to start by giving you the main point of the message today. Right out of the gate. I'm going to give you the main premise, main point today. If you don't get this, if you don't believe this, then it's going to be hard to really accept anything else we talk about today. That's the honest truth. Here's the main point of today. Your relational success is dependent upon your ability to both give and receive forgiveness. Your relational success in life with every person is dependent upon your ability to say I'm sorry and to receive sorry. To achieve forgiveness. The difference between a cold and distant marriage and a warm and intimate one. Did you know this? The difference is I'm sorry. The difference between a close relationship with your children and one that maybe is a little bit strained 
or with your parents or with grandparents or whatever, or a, a, a relationship that goes like this. <laughs> Anybody have any of these relationships? I've had a few. The difference is sorry. The difference between somebody who is relationally strong and a person who struggles with this, the difference is I'm sorry. Because I'm sorry truly changes things, doesn't it? We don't necessarily like to admit it, but it does change things. And the truth is, it's hard to say we're sorry, isn't it? I don't know, how, I don't know about you guys, but I have a hard time. I, I genuinely do. I'm not saying this like to connect with you and be like, do you guys get it? Yeah, I sometimes have a hard time. No, I do. I have a hard time saying I'm sorry. Let me, let me give you an example. So every now and then in the evenings, because I'm a dad and because I have three kids, five, nine, Hannah just turned nine yesterday, and Jackson, who's 11, right? So you kind of understand the mode we're in. There are times when we're in the evening and we've been playing or we've been watching a movie or we're doing whatever we're doing as a family. And all of a sudden it gets to that time. I check it. Yep, it's time. And you know what time that is. It's called bedtime. And bedtime is wonderful, right? As parents, like we know bedtime is wonderful. But for kids, it's not wonderful. And I find that every now and then, it doesn't happen every night, but sometimes I will say, okay, guys, it's bedtime. So we need you to go upstairs, go, go to the bathroom, get your jammies on so we can pray together and you guys need to be in bed because it's, you know, in fact, it's actually maybe a little bit past your bedtime. So let's get going. Let's do it. And sometimes they do it, but sometimes I find, I don't know if you've ever found this to be true, that it's all of a sudden, miraculously, they are frozen in time, wherever they are, on the couch or on the floor, and they don't move. Like, I just told you, it's bedtime, and we need to, you know, bathroom, jammies, and bed, and like, they don't move. And miraculously, you know what else I find? And it only happens sometimes in the evening. Their ears stop working. It is as if I don't exist. It's like dad doesn't exist anymore. That's kind of what it's like. And also, I'll say, you know, in, it's time for bed and all this stuff, but they don't move. They just, they're doing whatever they're doing. They still are doing it, right? It's like I didn't say anything. Now, it is in those times as a dad that I have the opportunity to model grace and gentleness and peace and patience. All the good fruit that the Bible talks about. And that's what I do. <laughs> you guys know I'm a liar, right? <laughs> Because that's not what I do. As a dad, what do I do? I get angry. <laughs> so I'm like, your ears, I know your ears work. I know they, they did just five minutes ago. They worked. And now they don't. I know better. And so what do I do? I get angry. And I get intense. And I start pointing at things. And I start raising my voice. And I make sure that they know. I know you can move and I know you can hear me. And I'm going to make you get to bed. Right? And there are times, I'll be honest, that I, got, I get too intense and I get a little bit too angry. I don't abuse my children, but I get too mean with them. You know what I'm talking about? Where the voice comes out and it's harsh and it's mean and they're scared because they're not sure how mad dad's going to get. You ever been there? And so there's sometimes that I'm too intense for the situation and I get them into bed and all of a sudden they're in bed and everybody's calm and it all worked out. Like the world didn't end even though I felt like it was going to because I want them in bed. And it's those times that I know that I 
need to offer an apology to my children. Because even though they got into bed and even though they didn't listen, I still owe them an apology, a sorry. But I don't know about you guys, but I have a hard time doing it. I don't want to do it. And you know, partly why we don't offer sorry is probably why I don't like to offer sorry to my children. Because I know that part of that, what they did was wrong. Right? I don't want to have to apologize to my children because they didn't listen. Were they wrong a little bit? Yeah. They disobeyed, and the Bible talks about that. So I have a hard time saying, I'm sorry to my children, but I know I need to. And so why is it so hard to say, I'm sorry? Well, we all know why, don't we? Really, we all know why. Because it strikes at our pride. It hurts us to say, I'm sorry. Because what it says is, to everybody in the room, I was wrong. How many of you love to admit you're wrong? Right? How many of you just love that? Like, you know, hey, no, Laura, I know that this is the direction. <laughs> this is how we should go. We should turn right here. Yeah, that's, ha- that's gone badly for me many times. I don't like to admit when I'm wrong, no matter what it is. And it's hard because it strikes at our pride. Well, I want to look at an example in God's Word that kind of gives us an example of how we need to offer an apology and how we need to live our lives with this forgiveness thing. His name is King David. And you guys know, we talk about David quite a bit here at Northridge. But King David is the king of Israel. That's why he's King David. And it was during his reign as king that King David made a pretty poor choice in his life. And the choice was that he decided that he was going to commit adultery. He was going to have an affair with another person's wife. All right, that was the sin that he decided he was going to commit. Not only that, but then after that happened, David decided that he needed to cover it up because he realized how bad it was. And so he decided that he needed to murder the husband of the wife that he had had the affair with. Not his finest moment. And so King David now, he has this and he thinks that he's gotten away with it. He thinks that he's covered it up. But the problem is, as you and I know, God knows everything. And so God goes to this guy named Nathan. He's a prophet, which basically just is a fancy word to say he speaks for God. And Nathan, God tells Nathan to go to David and confront David in his sin. And so he goes to David and he confronts David. He says, David, this is what you've done. You need to repent. And I want to kind of talk a little bit about how David responds to this in the days after he's confronted. He writes several psalms or songs, poems, they kind of describe what he was going through. And I want to read to you Psalm 38, 18. Basically, this is right after he was confronted. This is right after Nathan confronts him in his sin. This is what he writes. David says, I confess my sins. I am deeply sorry for what I have done. Now, I want us to understand something. What David immediately does is he does an about-face he does a 180, doesn't he? He doesn't, he doesn't kind of do all, all this kind of stuff. He immediately confesses and, and, and he immediately turns his, his life and he immediately surrenders his heart back to God because he knew he was way off. Immediately he confesses his soul to Almighty God. And I don't want to tell you something before we get too deep into this. I believe that God wants to free all of us. 
I believe he wants to free you from shame. I know he wants to free you from guilt. And don't play it off like you don't have any. We all do. The reason I know we all do is because we are all humans <laughs> and we all have sinned. I know that I carry it. But God wants to free you from shame and guilt and pain. And I want to tell you that one of the steps, it's not maybe the only step, but one of the steps that will take you to forgiveness and healing and to free you from the shame and the guilt that you have in your life is to say, I'm sorry. Is to offer forgiveness or maybe to receive forgiveness. And God wants to free you today from that relationship that you destroyed. Maybe because of words of anger. Or that decision. I know I'm dredging up garbage here. I know. And you're not thankful for it. I know. <laughs> but think about maybe one of those decisions or those decisions that you've made that you wish if you could go back, you would do anything you could to change it. You know what I'm talking about. Those moments where you just, you know you messed up. Are you still carrying that? One reason you may be carrying that is because when you made those decisions, my guess is you hurt somebody or a few somebodies. And the question is, have you gone back and offered a genuine apology to that person or those people? If you haven't, you will carry that shame and that guilt. You will carry it. I know it's not easy to hear, but God wants to free you from that shame and guilt. So here's what I want to do today. Aren't you guys excited already? <laughs> this is an intense one. I want to look at Psalm 51. It was written by David. And it was written by David just after he was confronted. I read to you Psalm 38, but Psalm 51 was also one that was written. In fact, it's written in the Bible. This is written right after David was confronted by Nathan in his sin. And so he writes this whole psalm in the midst of his pain and his shame and his guilt. But it also is after he has confessed to God and confessed to Nathan and confessed to the people that he has sinned. So not only is he in the pain and the shame and the guilt, but he's also starting to find forgiveness from God. He's starting to find healing. And I want you to hear some of the things that he says. So I want to talk about two things that David kind of shows us in Psalm 51. All right, the first thing David shows us of what we need to do when we've wronged or when we've been wronged is this. We need to acknowledge that we were wrong. And by acknowledge, I mean, yep, okay, I know in my mind I was wrong. That's not good enough. You need to say it out loud. You need to admit that you were wrong. You need to say it. And you need to hear yourself say it. And you need to have other people hear you say it. You need to admit that you were wrong. You need to acknowledge you were wrong. In fact, he writes in Psalm 51.3, listen to what David says. He says, I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. In other words, I admit, David says, I admit, I, I messed up royally. I messed up. I messed up bad. I recognize my rebellion. And what, notice what David did not do. He did not do the three things that we tend to do when we're wrong. Okay, see if these resonate with you. Man, they resonate with me. Okay, 
This is what happens. When, I, when somebody calls me out or when I know I'm wrong, these are the three things I tend to do. I blame somebody else. Oh, I'll put the blame on somebody else. That's, that's great. They, they really, you know, they really caused me to do this, right? We blame somebody else, all right? What else do we do? We make excuses. Anybody good at excuse making? I am good at it. I play that game very well, very well. I have a, I have a lot of practice. <laughs> we blame others. We make excuses. Or we start comparing ourselves to somebody else that's worse than us. And it makes us feel better. David could have done that, couldn't he? Right? He could have said, God, but you know, this being king thing, this is stressful. And I just needed, so, I just needed a break. Like, you put me in this place. I, wasn't, I didn't want to be king. You anointed me with oil. I didn't want to do this. Or he could have said, remember that Saul guy that you took out as king and now you put me in? He was, he was worse than I was. David could have done this, but he didn't. He confessed. He admitted he was wrong. And it says it haunts him day and night. Let me ask you this. What keeps you up at night? What are you ashamed of in your life? Again, I I know it's not a matter of if you are. It's what you're ashamed of. What are you ashamed of? Let me put it a different way. What are you afraid people would find out about you? Those behaviors, those actions, those are the things where you need to step in and you need to admit you're wrong and you need to say you're sorry. Those things that you're ashamed of because you're hurting other people and that's why you're ashamed of it. If you weren't ashamed of it, you'd be telling everybody, right? Woohoo! This is me. This is what I'm good at. Look at this. It's the things that we don't want people to know that we don't want to apologize for because then it outs ourselves. We need to say, I'm sorry. Psalm 51, 4, the very next verse, this is what David says. He says, against you and you alone have I sinned. He's talking about God. I have done what is evil in your sight. David admits it's not just against people that he sinned, but it's against God. And I think, I think this is something that I tend to forget, and maybe you guys do too, But I tend to forget that when I sin, I'm not just sinning against myself. I'm not just sinning against, you know, other people. I'm not just doing wrong by other people. I am sinning against God. And of everything in this world, one thing that we cannot do is sin against God. Because He is holy. And He wants nothing more than to have a relationship with us. But sin is the one thing that will divide us and keep us from a relationship with Christ. It's why Jesus came to die. Was to solve that problem. Because the truth is, one big part of forgiveness is this. It's admitting that you're wrong. Isn't it? Isn't that the biggest part? Like, it isn't like even addictions or anything like that. The first step is what? Admitting that you need help. Admitting that you need forgiveness. Admitting that you were wrong. And, and this is one of those things that I don't know about you, but... I am very good at seeing sin in other people. I'm a good sin spotter, <laughs> right? It's kind of like the rangers, right? Then their fire towers, they're really good at seeing fire, right? Because they've got a vantage point to do that. As human beings, let's be honest, we are really good at seeing all the problems of everybody else. Aren't we? We're really good at it. Like, oh, 
oh, mm, you shouldn't do that, <laughs> right? But what we have a really hard time with is seeing our own sin. Am I right? We tend to elevate ourselves, right, a little bit higher than what we really are. We have, a, we have kind of a skewed view of ourselves. There, there was not that long ago that Laura and I <laughs> thought that, you know, we'd see college students and all kind of stuff, and we're like, yeah, I think we're kind of still there. Like, we can still hang. We can still do that. We are fooling ourselves. That's dumb, right? I mean, it, was, it really was. It was not that long ago. We were like, man, yeah, we don't feel like we're that far out. Oh, man, we are so far out. Like, gone. We're, not, we're in another universe now right? We're not even in the same neighborhood. Because we don't have a good view of our, we just don't have an accurate view. And we're blind to some things that we're just, that are wrong. And we need to get really real with ourselves and with God and admit the things that are not quite right. And stop pointing fingers at where everybody else is wrong. Let's take care of our own stuff first. Then we can help other people with theirs. But let's worry about ours first. So the first thing is we need to admit or acknowledge that we're wrong. Second thing that David shows us in Psalm 51, very important thing, is that we need to ask for forgiveness. I don't know if you make this a part of your life or when your children mess up and they have to say, I'm sorry, but we always talk to our kids. They always have to, they, they have to say, I'm sorry, and there's a very specific thing that we have them do. Now, I may share that, but, but we also make sure that they have to ask for forgiveness. That's a key part to this. We want them to ask for forgiveness. Okay? They, it may not always be given to them, but we always want them to ask for forgiveness. We say, I'm sorry, and then you ask for forgiveness. And you don't stop at admitting this, but you need to ask for forgiveness. So listen to what David writes, Psalm 51, verses 9 and 10. Listen to what he says. David says, God, don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Okay, what, what David is saying with that, it's a lot of fancy words that David's writing there because he's just a good writer. But what he's really saying is, God, I've confessed. I was wrong. I messed up. You're totally right. You, thank you for confronting me. But now, would you just take the stain away? Would you forgive me? Would you please forgive me? I need your forgiveness. I need your salvation. That's what David is saying there. And notice what David doesn't do. I've mentioned this a couple times already. But notice what David doesn't do. David does not say, sorry, but. You know what I'm talking about? Sorry, but. Don't sorry, but. No buts with your sorry. Okay? Sorry, but doesn't work. Sorry, but. Okay? And you guys know how this works. I'm good at this game, too. Sorry, but is not an actual apology. You understand this, right? Sorry, but is not an apology. Just because you said the word sorry, it's not like magic, like check mark, sorry, done. We're all good now. Sorry, but, sorry, but you made me do, sorry, but if you would have just done this, I probably wouldn't have done that. Oh yeah, that's not an apology. That's a sorry, but. Yeah, I just said sorry, but on Sunday morning. That's where my mind goes. <laughs> I'm sorry for doing that, okay? There you go. 
but no, we, we, we can't say sorry, but. We can't say sorry and all this stuff. In fact, our kids, we, we make sure that they understand this. They don't say sorry, but. We say sorry, and then you say exactly what you did wrong. It needs to come out of your mouth. Because what they try to do, sometimes, now they've learned usually that no, there's no way they get away with it. But sometimes they'll say, you need to tell your sister. You need to tell your brother, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh-uh. No. Not doing that. Let's try it again. Look at them in the eyes. Okay. They don't, they hate that. I hate that too. When I'm saying an apology, I just want to do this. I'm sorry. Sorry for blah, blah, blah. Right? What was that? <laughs> I'm sorry. And look at them in the eyes and tell them what you're sorry for. Tell them what you did that was wrong. And then you need to ask for forgiveness. We need to be specific with our sorry. We need to not say sorry, but we need to just say sorry for what we did. Let me give you an example of how sorry, but doesn't work. Okay, this is kind of a silly example, but we'll kind of go with it. Um, so let me draw a little uh, diagram here, a graph here, I guess is what I would say. Okay, if this is a line we have... All right, that's good, all right? Okay, so zero to 10, okay? What this represents is in any conflict situation, this represents the intensity of the emotions in the situation. The anger, the amount of feelings, the amount of just like, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's like, whoa, it's thick in here, right? We, we just, whoo, it's intense, okay? So this zero is like calm. Life is great. Life is fantastic. This is how we like it, right? This, this is how li life is good here. Like everybody's good. We're just rolling with it. It's fantastic. Ten is like World War Three, right? It's on like Donkey Kong, right? I mean, it's just like, ah, craziness, okay? This is intense anger. Nothing good happening right here, okay? So, and everywhere in between. Now, let me throw out a scenario to you, okay? Again, it's just a funny scenario. Let's say, husbands, that you delete a Hallmark movie before your wife gets to watch it. Purely a hypothetical situation, not that this would ever happen or that I would ever know from personal experience. Okay? Purely hypothetical. So let's just say that you do that. Maybe it's by accident. Maybe it was on purpose. It doesn't matter. It's gone, and she didn't watch it. That's the point, right? And so let's say, let's just play this situation out. Wife comes in, says, hey, I noticed that my Hallmark movie is gone. Why did you delete that? Like, I hadn't watched that yet, and I love those things, okay? Now, right away, just because she called it out, right, you've gone from a zero up to at least a three, right? The room is now no longer zero calm, right? Now we're up there, and husbands, we all know what that means. We're like, oh, no, here we go, Right? Now it's on. Like, we were at a zero. Oh, we lost it. What happened? Life was good, right? But now we're at a three. And so now let's just take the sorry but approach, okay? Gentlemen, okay, this is great advice, right? Like, this will save some relationships here, right? Hallmark movie stuff, okay? Let's say that you say sorry but, okay? Oh, I'm, dear, I'm so sorry. But, you know, you've got like 27 Hallmark movie saved on there from just last week. How am I supposed to know what you're doing? In fact, 
really, you know what, I never have any space for my sports and all this stuff, so I, I'm sorry, I, but I had to delete it. I'm sorry it's gone, deal with it. I'm sorry, but how's that going to go? Well, that was really brilliant there, guys, because now you're up to at least a seven or an eight, right? You just raise it. Oh, and by the way, depending on how you said those words, because how you say something is, is just as important as what you say, right, ladies in the room, right? Okay, how you said that, you may have taken it all the way to an eight or a nine, right, depending on how you said that. Okay, but you've raised the level because you just said sorry, but. Okay, don't say sorry, but. It doesn't work. Instead, let's just say a genuine apology. You know what? I am sorry. I did delete it. You know, and you can maybe say, you know, I accidentally deleted it. I was going through, I was deleting some, cleaning some stuff out, and I, I deleted a couple of movies. In fact, you don't know this yet, but I actually deleted a couple. <laughs> but I am sorry, and I know that you love watching those, and so I, I'll try to be more careful next time. Or maybe you did it on purpose because you need to free up space on the DVR. And you say, you know what, I deleted it. I thought maybe you had watched it, but I, I, I'm sorry. I, I messed up. And I'll check with you a little bit more carefully next time. You know what happens with that situation? Okay, maybe we're not zero, like everything's perfect now because the Hallmark movie's still gone. You can't get that back. But you, you're dropping it back down to like a one or a two. You're on your way to a zero, aren't you? If it's genuine. Now, if this is the fifth time it's happened this week, that's another sermon, right? That's another sermon. Right? We're, we can't deal with that today. That's, those are all other issues, right? But, but, I mean, if it's just a genuine apology, you've moved it back down to a one or a two, and that's good. But let's just say you use the sorry but approach, right? What does the other person have to do? What does the wife have to do? Well, probably she's going to have to raise the bar again, right? If you say sorry but, you're like, okay, she takes the cue. You're like, we're sorry butting, okay, let's go this. You know what I think I need to do? I need to start deleting some of your sports programs randomly from now on. Oh, now it's World War III, right? Now you crossed into sin, right? Because now the sports are going to be gone, <laughs> right? So now, now we're at a 10. Now it's World War III. Now you're bringing in family history and DNA, and you get that on your mother's side, right? You're bringing up things from 10 years ago. Let's be honest. You know this is true. And you're like, how did we get there? We don't even know that it started with a Hallmark movie. Like, we're pulling out, we're dredging everything out. Blah, muck. Right? And we're yelling, and it's just crazy. All because we said, sorry, but. Don't sorry, but. When you offer an apology, make sure it's genuine. Make sure it's real. Make sure it's humble. Because if it's not, then all it is is just words. Let me tell you something that you already know is true, but I think it's important to call out. Wherever there is conflict in your life, it does not matter who that person is. It could be a family member. It could be extended family. Anybody ever have problems with extended family? It could be a coworker. Anybody ever have problems with coworkers? Yeah. It could be a neighbor. It could be a close friend. It could be a distant friend. Okay, listen. Hear me on this. Any conflict in your life. It makes no difference who it is. Absolutely none. Wherever there is conflict in your life, part of it is largely because you or the other person or both have been unwilling to say I'm sorry. Am I right? 
every piece of con- every conflict in your life, it's because there is not an apology that was given. Because an apology starts down the road to make it right. I'm not saying it's going to be perfect. I'm not going to say you're going to be best friends from now and forever. BFFs again. Let's get the necklaces, right? No. Let's not live in dreamland, but forgiveness, saying I'm sorry, apologizing, will lead you down the road to healing and reconciliation, at least to the point where you can be in the same room. Is there, are there some people in your life that you can't even really be in the same room with? That's because there was no apology. It's because there was no apology. So what are you going to do about it? In fact, let me uh, throw one more thought out. This is kind of for parents, but it definitely applies to everybody. Parents, always be ready and willing to say I'm sorry. Always. I just admitted to you, it's hard for me to do it. It is. But always be ready and willing to say you're sorry. Because the truth is that sorry demonstrates humility, confession. And by the way, here's another word that our culture definitely agrees with teaching our children. Responsibility. Anybody want your kids to have responsibility? Okay, we do that. You know how we do that, by the way? I'm going to dig in a little bit here. You know how we try to build responsibility into our children? We get them in as many sports as we can. So they have to be there on time and we have to make sure they have their shin guards and they have their helmet and for football and all that kind of stuff. And, and, we, and we make sure they get a job as early as possible. Hey, listen, I don't have a problem with those things. There's nothing wrong with those things. My kids are in sports. My kids will learn the value of working hard. I get all that. But can I tell you the best way to teach your children to have responsibility for their lives? The best way is to show them what it looks like to take responsibility for your wrong. And so when you do wrong by your family or by them or by anybody else, what you need to do is you need to look them in the eyes and you need to say, I'm sorry, for, and then spell it out. Swallow your own pride and humble yourself before your children. More than anything else in this life, and this goes with anybody. It doesn't have to be your children. Anybody. This will show them that you are willing to take responsibility for who you are and what you've done. That'll be the greatest lesson in responsibility that they will ever see. Don't tell them to be humble. Don't tell them to be responsible. Show them what it looks like. Because they will do what you do, not what you say. You guys know this is true. They will do what you do, not what you say. So show them what it So I want to leave you with two questions here today. First one is this. Who do you need to say I'm sorry to? Who in your life can you not be around? Who in your life doesn't want to be around you? Who in your life have you wronged and you've just let it sit in anger? Who do you need to say I'm sorry to? And then the second question is, is there somebody in your life who maybe you wronged or there was conflict and there was wrong on both sides and there was an apology offered, but you didn't accept it? There was forgiveness that was asked for, but you didn't 
give it? Who do you need to say you're sorry to? And what forgiveness do you need to accept from somebody else? You remember the premise that we started with, right? Your relational health and success will depend on your ability to both give and receive forgiveness. Maybe the first step that you need to take is saying sorry to God. In fact, we're going to give an opportunity for that here this morning. Sorry to God is simply saying to God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry I've been messing up. I've messed up. And we're going to do that here today. We're going to take communion together. And communion is a really simple act that Jesus has instituted for you and I. And it, and it does really two things. It's when we remember what Jesus did on the cross and we celebrate what Jesus did on the cross for us. Because what he did is he took the punishment that we're supposed to have for our sin. That's what Jesus did. He took the death that we're supposed to have because of our sin. And so he's already offered forgiveness. He's already said, I want to forgive you. The only choice that we have left is to receive it, is to accept the gift that God has offered to us. And so this communion time, we're going to go into this. And let me just mention this before we get uh, into the scripture here. At Northridge, we practice open communion, <clears throat> which very simply means you don't have to be a, a member at Northridge. This could be your very first time at Northridge, and it's okay. All we ask is that you have given your life to Christ you've given your life to Jesus, we want you to take communion. Celebrate that. Uh, if you're uncomfortable taking communion or you're not sure where you're at with God, that's totally cool. We're not going to judge you because you don't take communion. Okay? But we're going to open up the communion time. And this is an opportunity. I want you to just take this time seriously to think. Where's your relationship with God? And where's your relationship with other people? These are the two things that God cares about. You realize that? He cares about your relationship with Him, and He cares about your relationship with other people. Those are the top two things. So as we go into this time of communion, let's remember and celebrate the death of Jesus on the cross that paid for our sins. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus is sitting with His disciples at the very last meal he's going to have before he goes to the cross. And this is the first time that Jesus brings in this thing called communion. Listen to what Jesus himself says and what he does. Luke chapter 22, verse 19. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant or the new promise in my blood which is poured out for you. So as we go into our time of communion, the worship band is going to go ahead and come up. And as we go into this time of communion, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do two things. First, I want you to really consider where your relationship with God is at. 
Don't gloss over this time. Don't just take communion. This is not a, you know why we don't do, do communion every single Sunday? Because we don't want it to become a ritual and a tradition. Because it's not a ritual and a tradition. It's a sacrament. It's something that God said, Jesus said, we have to do to remember what's going on. And to remember the sacrifice that he paid on the cross. And so as we go into this time, I want you to think about where's your relationship with Jesus? And for those of you who have maybe never given, maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you've been to church before, but you've never given your life to Jesus. If you haven't, this is an opportunity. This is a great time to do that. Just tell God you're sorry for your sin. I believe you died on the cross for me. Today I accept that, and I'm going to live for you for the rest of my life. Give your life to Jesus. Accept the forgiveness that was offered. And then the second thing I want you to do is if there's a problem between you and another person, Jesus says, don't sacrifice at the altar. Don't try to worship me if you're messed up with somebody else. Go and reconcile first, then come back. Then we have something to talk about. Some of you probably shouldn't take communion if you've got that. Deal with it. Say you're sorry. Swallow your pride. Your pride's just going to kill you. We have enough pride in this world, guys. <laughs> oh my goodness, we've got enough pride. Swallow it. Offer a genuine apology wherever it's needed. And let God tell you who that is in this time. Let's worship and celebrate Jesus and what he did on the cross in this time of communion. During this song, the tables are open. There's a gluten-free table over in the corner over there if you need gluten-free. During this song, the, the time is open. We're going to be standing. Just make your way over there when you're ready. Pray. Stay over there. You can pray all day over here if you want. The village center may kick you out at some point. That's cool. But just spend the time that you need to make sure that your heart is prepared and ready. And let's celebrate what Jesus did.